Welcome back to Uneducated, the show where we feel dumb so you don't have to. Today, I am joined by Eileen Lamb. She's an author and a mother of two boys, Charlie and Jude. Charlie is autistic, and Eileen learned as an adult that she too is on the spectrum. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited. I have very little knowledge of autism other than random bits of how it's portrayed in the media, which I know can frequently not be an accurate representation of an entire group of people. So I'm excited to learn from you today. Before we get into learning, we have to do the trivia question. So are you ready? So ready. (laughs) Okay. The trivia question is, which country consumes the most chocolate per capita? I feel like I don't want to be stereotypical, but I feel like it has to be Switzerland. That's like the the whole thing about like Swiss chocolate, right? Yeah, good thinking. I was going to say France because my family in France hits so much chocolate. It's got to be it. (laughs) You're like, just my family alone raised the per capita bar. It's got to be us. Okay. (laughs) Well, I feel like you have intel that I'm going to be wrong now, but let's see what the answer is. Oh, it was Switzerland. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a trick question. I was very worried. You got it. <laughs> yes. I didn't know. I, yeah. I also feel like anytime I've been in France, there's been a lot of chocolate consumed. So I think the, the Europeans just kind of do it right, you know? We do. Better food. <laughs> when did you move to America? So I moved uh, to Austin in 2011. So it's mm-hmm. been about nine years. I came here to be oh, an wow. au pair. So oh. Basically the only way to come here when you're a young 21-year-old girl and you want to mm-hmm. visit another country. I really wanted to come here. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. Did you plan to stay and have a family here or was it just a temporary thing that you never left? I was secretly hoping that would happen, but I did <laughs> not plan it. It just kind of you know, happened. You know, I met my husband yeah. and... I stayed. So, yeah. That's perfect. Um, I feel like you have such an interesting story when it comes to autism. When I first heard of you and started looking into what you share and you posting a lot about your son, I didn't know that you too were on the spectrum. And when you shared that, I assumed you had been diagnosed and aware for a really long time. And then that kind of led you to recognizing the signs in your son. And I was intrigued to hear that it was the opposite way. Your son was diagnosed first and then you were diagnosed. Can you tell me a little bit about that diagnosis process for both of you? Yeah. So, well, first of all, start from the beginning. So I was trying to teach French to my son, Charlie, because Mm -hmm. I'm French, you can probably hear my accent. And it was really important to me. I just wanted him to learn both languages, even though we're living in the US. Um, you know, I felt like it was kind of a chance for him to, you know, learn from me. So mm-hmm. I was speaking two languages to to Charlie from when he was a little baby. And um, by 18 months, he had about 15 words, which mm-hmm. is on the lower, you know, they want kids who are 18 months babies they're supposed to talk a bit more than that but who are like you know what he's learning two languages so that's probably why he's a bit behind um Mm -hmm. and when 
it was 20 months. It's when it started getting downhill. He lost the few words he had and oh. stopped talking. Oh, he had no words anymore. And mm -hmm. that's when we're like, you know what? That can be normal. Um, mm -hmm. Something must be going on. And we called uh, early childhood intervention. It's a program in each state. Uh, the cost varies, but it's usually either free or very um, affordable, uh, depending on your income. And they come to your house and they evaluate your, your child for different uh, learning delays, which can be, you know, fine motor skills, physical skills, language. And Charlie qualified for all the therapies he had to offer because he was behind everywhere. Wasn't a big surprise because... I, I knew, you know, looking mm -hmm. at him compared to his peers, that he was different and behind. But after a few months of doing the therapies they offered, they let us know that it was basically out of their league and that there, it was more than just um, developmental delays is what they call them. And we mm -hmm. needed to see a um, neurologist or developmental pediatrician to get him evaluated for autism. Um and we did, and he was diagnosed with autism. But um, basically, the first sign we saw beyond the speech loss, which is called a speech regression, is that he wouldn't look at us anymore. He just was playing all day, every day, with the same toys in a very repetitive way. Like instead of mm -hmm. playing with a car, rolling it back and forth, he would just line them up all day. And he didn't want to do anything else. And it became very intense. Yeah, 18, 20 months is when really it started going downhill. And so we got the autism diagnosis when he was uh, tw yeah, 22 months, just before he was mm -hmm. two. Is he your eldest child or your younger child? Yeah, he's my oldest child. So he's seven okay. now. So you hadn't even had that experience of a first child yet to know kind of the milestones. Because I feel like I wouldn't. I wouldn't really recognize being behind in any way. I would just, well, kind of like you said, well, everyone's a little bit different and has that growth in a different way. And I wasn't aware that you could have the speech regression is I think what you called it. Yeah. I didn't know that that was possible. I feel like in my mind, I would just think, well, they knew that word before. They're just being stubborn or just, I don't know, learning to communicate in a different way. I don't know if I would properly recognize that or even really understand it without the knowledge of this being out there. So I feel like it is so important that stories like this are readily available to all of us to kind of know what signs to look out for and understand because from my understanding, early diagnosis can be extremely helpful and lead you down the right path to kind of navigate life being on the spectrum. Yeah. Have you explained to your younger son that Charlie has autism and that you're on the spectrum as well? And does he understand that? Yeah, he, he does to a certain extent because, mm -hmm. you know, so he's five and he's the opposite of, of Charlie's older brother is that he always wants to talk, always wants to play. Mm -hmm. He needs that contact all the time and he tries to get it from his brother, Charlie, mm -hmm. but Charlie doesn't want that and it's hard yeah. for a five-year-old to understand that his brother doesn't want to play with him you know mm -hmm. because he has different needs um 
so yeah, we explained to Jude, my younger son, that Charlie has autism and that's why he's not interacting with him the way he expects him to. And that mm-hmm. it doesn't mean he doesn't love him. He just doesn't show show it the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I explained that I have autism too. And Jude's answer was, but you talk. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, there are different ways autism manifests in people and talking is not one of them. Um, doesn't mean that someone is not autistic just because they talk. So he said, well, maybe you have a little autism and Charlie has a lot of autism. I was like, well, that's uh, it's very sweet. But yeah, I guess you can put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It must be hard for a five-year-old to comprehend or really easy. I feel like some young kids, as adults, we kind of complicate situations and understanding them. And kids are kind of just like, oh, my brother just communicates differently. And okay. But <laughs> what great little boys. So what was your diagnosis process like and how long after Charlie was diagnosed were you then diagnosed? Pretty soon after my first, the first thing I did after Charlie was diagnosed was to go to my mom, you know, mm-hmm. and I told her, you know, Charlie was just diagnosed with autism. Um, and she was like, well, that's such an American thing. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like always, she always has that idea of America, like they overdiagnose everything. And she's like, but I think a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> yeah. I know there was like an article about ADHD. It was called like why mm-hmm. French kids don't have ADHD or something like that. As in, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, my mom was like, you're the exact same way as Charlie as a child. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm sure Charlie is autistic. So maybe it means that I have autism too. Like, have you ever thought about it that way? Um, And then I started researching high functioning autism because I knew I wasn't, you know, was different. And my mind was just blown. Like I read all the symptoms of high functioning autism in adults. And I was like, that could explain everything I've been struggling with my entire life, like relationships, like loud noises, uh, social situation, going to the grocery store, my repetitive, uh, you know, behaviors, everything I've been doing that I thought was wrong with me could have an explanation. So Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to self-diagnose myself. So I went to a professional who does therapeutic assessment. She basically spent, um, dozen of hours uh, asking me questions, talking to my family members, having me fill out a questionnaire. Um, and at the end of it, she told me, you you do have uh, high-functioning autism. Um, and it was kind of a mind-blowing experience to hear that. I mm-hmm. was 26. Um, oh, wow. So I was an adult. Mm-hmm. And then it made me look back at my life and think about what would have been different if I had known before, you know, cause I was so hard mm-hmm. on myself and it was just kind of a relief to know it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation for a lot of the things yeah. I struggled with, you know? Absolutely. I feel like rather than it being a scary, overwhelming diagnosis of like, Oh, what do I do now? It was a way for you to have self-awareness and kind of understand why you do certain things that you do. And then, like you said, you were so hard on yourself for so long, wondering and probably thinking, oh, I'm just a little bit different, but why? And now you had a reasoning. And I feel like as soon as we become aware of ourselves more, we can 
cope with that and understand ourselves and function so much better. What are some of the ways that you felt like you were hard on yourself pre-diagnosis? Relationships, the social aspect mm-hmm. has always been the hardest for me. Like, honestly, sometimes I don't know if I'm like talking too much or talking about things that don't interest people. And I like, I don't know when to stop. Or um, yeah. I was wondering why people would leave you know they were my friends and then they would leave and I had no idea what I did wrong and I know it happens to everyone but it just kept happening to me and I was just like Mm -hmm. what am I doing wrong and not having that understanding and now I feel like oh maybe in some way it was my autism and I didn't pick up on some social cues I should have picked up on or maybe I did things that to me were normal but to other people can be offensive and they didn't want to tell me Um, Mm -hmm. and also simple things like going to the grocery store, like that's something incredibly hard for me, all the noise, all the people. And Mm -hmm. I always read about moms. Uh, it's kind of like an inside joke uh, among moms. We like going to targets as a self-care thing. I'm like, I mean, I do love Target. I'm not a mom and I love that too. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty awesome. I do like it (laughs) online. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just overwhelming too and yeah. I just feel like I can't relate to like a grocery store being a you know self-care thing even though mm-hmm. I do love it if I had to choose one that would be target but um, <laughs> there was also a lot of difficult aspects uh, to that or like I can get gas to a gas station that is not the one I know something is mm-hmm. always gonna go wrong and I'm not gonna have the skills to f- figure it out uh, exactly you know yeah I feel like with the relationships aspect of it all as well. It also helps people who are your friends and who are in relationships with you understand because I feel like to me, the main issue surrounding autism is the lack of understanding from people who aren't autistic, not, not understanding. We think like you mentioned, Oh, what, what if I didn't get that social cue? That's okay that you didn't get that. But the people around you thinking that something's offensive or not understanding that you just perceive things differently can create friction. So I'm sure you being diagnosed and being able to share that with the people in your life has helped them as well. And everyone to have like a healthier, stronger relationship with you. Yeah, I think so too. Sometimes I, it's tricky because people can think that I use it as an excuse to say something offensive, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, if I say something offensive, I'm just going to say, sorry, I'm autistic. So, you know, it's a tough balance between, I mean, it's true. It makes things harder for me, but I also don't want to, I don't want to hide behind my diagnosis, you know, if I do say something that's offensive. So it's a balance. Yeah, definitely. Why do you think autism so often goes undiagnosed. And I, I don't know the statistic, maybe you do, but in women, it goes, it's so much later in life that women are finding out that they are on the spectrum. Yeah, it happens very often. I think one of the main reasons is that the, the tests that were meant to diagnose autism were designed with boys. And one of the criteria mm-hmm. is um, repetitive behaviors. And in girls, these repetitive behaviors are less obvious. Uh, same with the obsessive interest, for instance. All of girls would have an obsessive interest that's in sports, which is considered more mainstream and can pass as more of a normal thing. For instance, I was mm-hmm. obsessed with soccer. Like 
would be really <laughs> obsessed with all the, you know, soccer players, birth dates and all the game sc- scores, everything. Um, and in boys, it's going to be something more um, not mainstream. So it's stands out more and also yeah. the main reason i think is that girls are a lot better at what we call masking masking or autism camouflage like mm-hmm. we know how to hide uh, our struggles better we learn to fit in and mm-hmm. neurotypical people do that too we all do it to a certain extent you know we we cannot change ourselves to fit in better but it's and whole other level when you're on the spectrum and you you need to mask to pass as um, neurotypical. And I think that's probably the main reason why. Yeah. Women are so good at making everyone else feel comfortable and kind of like hiding, like you said, our struggles and anything that we're feeling to make sure everyone else is at ease. So that makes a lot of sense that it would be kind of just easier to hide. What has improved in your life since being diagnosed? Have you like, what, what different skills have you learned to improve those relationships in those situations? Or if you have to go to the grocery store? Well, now I know what to focus on with my therapist, which is a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and also just the way I treat myself, like I'm so much kinder to myself when I fell at something instead of, mm-hmm. you know, getting, I, I mean, I could get really mean on myself. Like, why are you like this? You know, why can't you just buy like a gallon of milk at the grocery store? Why is that so hard? Everyone is doing it around you. Like, well, yeah. you know what? That's harder for you and that's okay. And it might seem like a little thing, but overall on my uh, mental well-being, it made a huge difference. And in my relationship, the same way now I'm Maybe I'm overly cautious in a way. I tend to overcompensate. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always wondering, well, what is the other person feeling? Uh, what uh, should I have said that? So I tend to overthink now to a very extreme <laughs> level. But yeah. I, I like it better that way. And I'm sure, you know, with more time, I'm going to be able to find a good balance. And yeah. I'm very honest, raw, vulnerable with everyone around me and because I, if there is an issue, I make sure to tell people, I, please tell me, I, I don't mind. I don't care if you hurt my feeling, if I'm doing something that is, you don't like, you, you, you tell me and we'll work it out. It mm-hmm. doesn't come from a place of me wanting to hurt you. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do, what common misconceptions do you think are out in the world of, about autism? So many, I think. <laughs> You're like, how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I could go on for hours on this, but I know I shouldn't do that. See, I'm, I learned. <laughs> the thing about this podcast is you are welcome to talk as much as you'd like. Don't even worry about that. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. But okay, let's start. Number one. Um, first of all, like autistic people, I mean, and I'm talking about people who are able to express themselves like myself. The misconception is that we don't have empathy and that couldn't be more wrong. I mean, if anything, for me, it's like the opposite. I have so much empathy and I want people around me to be happy. And, you know, like I was saying, I I feel bad if I hurt someone's feeling like Mm -hmm. that is not true that 
I mean, maybe for some people, you know, and that's one thing I cannot speak for all autistic people because we're all different from each other. But I, I think most autistic people uh, able to understand or listen to this podcast today would agree with with me that we we do have feelings we do care about other people um and also in movies like you were saying you've seen autism in movies and tv shows right and often you're gonna see like i don't know the the good doctor is that what it's called that show Mm -hmm. it's like you know always like a splinter scale like very smart and and it's so misleading because i don't have a splinter scale um, <laughs> I wish I did, but like, I can tell you how many matches are on the ground. If you drop a, a box of matching, uh, you know, that like in Renman, all of these mm-hmm. very impressive skills that pretty much no autistic, uh, have, um, mm-hmm. if anything, it makes me feel kind of like, uh, less than, you know, like I should have that skill and I don't, but most autistic don't. And I know it. Um, and that's, Vaccines cause autism. I mean, that's one. It's been scientifically mm-hmm. proven so many times. And I hate when I see that vaccines cause autism. And also, even if they did, um, I'd rather be autistic than not be vaccinated, you know. So mm-hmm. that's really something I'd like to put out there. Um, yeah. I find it very hurtful that people would rather take the risk. Uh, their children get these horrible diseases that people. I've been dying from, from years just to not be autistic. That is an incredible point. I've never thought of it from that point. I always just thought of the wild notion of linking vaccines to autism, but I never thought about how incredibly offensive that is that someone would rather risk their life or their child's life by not vaccinating them from a potentially fatal illness than to risk having autism where you can live a long, happy, fulfilling life from. That is such an important point, I think, for people to really, really take. Yeah. Yeah. Any other massive misconceptions that stand out for you? That all autistic people have the same, um, you know, are the same. There Mm -hmm. is the saying that says, if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. And I think it describes autism so well without saying anything Mm -hmm. about it, but you know, you could interview another autistic person and they will tell you different things about autism and about their own experience. We have, of course, signs, symptoms, things we experience the same Mm -hmm. way, but it's never going to be exactly the same. I've never met an autistic person exactly like me. I've never met an autistic child exactly like Charlie, you know? Mm -hmm. What is your day-to-day like with Charlie? Well, it's pretty, so autistic people, usually, not all of them, uh, like routine. And we have our own little, you know, life with Charlie where I wake him up in the morning and then he goes to therapy for six hours a day. And he does speech and occupational therapy there and ABS and basically try to teach him how to communicate, which is not necessarily talking. That's another Mm -hmm. misconception about autism. We encourage communication, whether it's verbal, sign language, or for my son, Charlie, it's with an app on his iPad. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like a little computer that has cards that can say words. So like, Mm -hmm. I want, plus then item that he wants. So like, I want water. Um, 
And then he, he comes home and I try to keep him happy. And that doesn't look like what you'd expect with another child. Charlie being happy is, you know, flapping his hand, hands, uh, jumping on his trampoline, uh, mm-hmm. swing. So a lot of sensory things, uh, playing with yeah. water, pouring water from one cup to another. So we do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think communication is already so hard. <laughs> like People who have some of the best communication skills, it is extremely difficult. How are you navigating that communication with your son and how he's going to communicate with other people? I mean, thank goodness technology is incredible. The fact that he has an app on his little iPad that he can just like pop out to share things. But I can imagine as a mother, that would be a little bit daunting. It it is. It's very bittersweet. You know, it's something I I talk about often on on my own blog is the the guilt because Mm -hmm. a part of me wishes Charlie could communicate verbally and have conversation with me. And yeah, yeah, it, it makes me human, you know, to want these things for my son. I mean, he can't communicate beyond I want plus item with his iPad. So it's mm-hmm. great. And there are ways he could, but he's not there yet. So if he's hurting, mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just going to cry. Like one time he was limping. So we knew like his leg was hurt, right? But which yeah. part of it? It took like over 30 x-rays to find out it was a toe. Because he couldn't oh even goodness. point to it. And yeah. these are the things people don't necessarily think about. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's kind of sad as a mother but it's very rewarding when we we have a breakthrough and i see him communicate and yeah again it's a balance between Mm -hmm. i'm allowing myself to feel sad um while not you know being in in the negative and being like oh well why me no we're we're gonna get through this and we're gonna find a way but it's okay too if some days i feel sad because He's crying and I don't know why. And I want to make Mm -hmm. it better. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about finding that balance and just trying to live the best life for all of you. Um, In one of the questions I'm going to jump to kind of from the Instagram Q&A, somebody asked about how you feel about ABA. And from my limited knowledge and research, I know that it can kind of be a hot button topic amongst people who are caring for somebody who is on the spectrum or who is on the spectrum themselves. Can you speak on that a bit? Yeah. Well, it's very, very controversial. It's probably the most Mm -hmm. controversial topic in the autism world. So ABA is uh, applied behavioral um, analysis. (laughs) Um, And it's basically teaching the child to do something um, using positive reinforcement and Mm -hmm. some autistic adults um, went through it as kids and they found it uh, abusive. And I think there's some truth to it. Like years ago, uh, the way it was done, uh, you know, they might have forced eye contact, which Mm -hmm. is, I don't think it's okay to to force Mm -hmm. eye contact. It's fine if uh, a child doesn't want to look you in the eyes, we should enforce that. They might have stopped, prevent the child from steaming, like flapping their hands. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's still quite a bit of controversy. The way it's done now, I mean, at least the way it's done at Charlie's Center, 
It's all play-based. Um, they don't prevent him from steaming unless he's harming himself, uh, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, another misconception is that ABA only cares about verbal language and they don't try to teach uh, other forms of communication. Again, that is not true. The first thing ABA did with my son, Charlie, was try to teach him PECS, which is basically little pictures. That mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing he uses now on his iPad, except it's actual little pictures. So like mm-hmm. a picture of a cookie. And if he wants a cookie, he's going to give me the cookie picture. Um, so how do I feel about ABA? I think ABA is amazing if it's done uh, the right way. And mm-hmm. if people, parents, um, therapists are aware, aware of where it could hurt the autistic person. So like, I wouldn't do it if people were only um, following Charlie to speak if it was verbal. I wouldn't do Mm -hmm. it if they were stopping him when he's flapping his hands harmlessly. Um, Yeah. You know, so ADA done right with caring people is great. Yeah, it sounds like people who are against ABA are assuming that it is forcing the person going through it to be doing things that they don't want to do to try to like redirect their behavior and I guess, yeah, just force them into doing something rather than nudging or teaching or trying to show options of other ways to communicate or respond to things. Um, I, of course, (laughs) I'm in no place to even have an opinion on the sides of the controversy, but I I can understand where the two sides would come from. And like you said, I think it's all about how it's properly being done. I think the best thing I can relate it to is um, a class I took on the culture of individuals who are um, deaf or hard of hearing and saying that they, a lot of people who are deaf went to school to try to read lips or to try to speak. And it was extremely harmful because that was, that was difficult for them. So why try to make them change when society could kind of catch up and make life a little bit easier for them? So I understand that, but at the same side, changing society is difficult. And I think if you are able, especially as a mother and having your child, if you're able to teach him skills that he would enjoy and could potentially do, wouldn't you want to give him those tools to be able to communicate and make his life easier as well without changing him, without forcing him to do something? I mean, we do this with neurotypical kids too. You know, they don't necessarily want to learn to read, but we send them to school. Um, Yeah. I'm like, gosh, if I didn't do all the things I didn't want to do as a kid and someone yelled at my mom for it, where would a you very be very different now? person. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Well, and there are skills too, you know, and that's the thing. ABA, like it teaches Charlie things like not running in, the, in front of a car, not eating yeah. the cat litter box, like things you'd think like anyone would know, but with severe autism, they don't necessarily, necessarily know these things. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we find a way to teach them, you know, it's safety, it's independence and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And as long as it's done with care and respect to the autistic person, I think it should, it should be learned. Is ABA the only therapy that should be used? No. And it's not for everyone, but it, I don't think it's abusive. Um, The main criticism um, is ableism. 
that mm -hmm. you're trying to make the autistic person non-autistic. Um, yeah. And that's not the way I see it, you know, because I just want Charlie to learn, you know, important skills. To me, it's not about taking away his autism. He's always going to mm -hmm. be autistic. He just needs to learn communication, which I feel like everyone should have access to. It's not fun to not be able to communicate. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. Has it been difficult in a time of COVID to explain that to Charlie? I think with any kid, it would be so difficult to explain. You can't touch this. You have to wear a mask. How are you handling the kind of new world we're in right now? Oh, he doesn't understand any of that. So, you mm -hmm. know, we have to force the mask on him. Like mm -hmm. we, we use words, but... I don't think, I mean, I know he, he doesn't understand the pandemic or anything. He can't tell us, but I can see he's very confused and that's very heartbreaking because like, yeah. I'm sorry, I know it's so uncomfortable, but we got to mm. do this, you know, protect yourself, protect other people. So we just don't go out, you know, pretty much mm -hmm. the backyard and the therapy center is the only place he goes to. Yeah. What's something that you think society can do better to make the world better and more accessible for people who have autism? I think, first of all, to stop using autism as an insult. I know it's not done mm -hmm. as much in the U.S., but in France, it's like autist, which means autistic. Oh, you're autistic, you know, Oh, as like an insult. And yeah. it just bothers me so much. Um mm -hmm to just kind of read blogs and listen to autistic people instead of, you know, thinking that what you see on a TV show is what autism is like <laughs> would be a good start. Yeah. And just being kind and more patient. I know it sounds like I'm asking for, um, like kind of like privilege, but if I make a mistake, um, I would like another chance to make it right. Just because it's just harder for us, for us. And that doesn't sound like privilege to me. That sounds like people being compassionate and willing to not, not judge you off of a one instance that they experience. And like you said, you are so open to feedback and hearing how someone feels that I don't think that sounds privilege. It sounds very doable. Well, I'm glad it sounds like it. I hope people hear this and they think about it twice because you know, most of us really just want to make other people happy. We want to fit in. And yeah, mm -hmm. sometimes all we need exactly. is someone compassionate, you know, listening to us. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, someone sent in a question and said, I have ASD and find it hard to connect with people. Will this ever change? And can I change it? And I know, as you mentioned, you had those difficult relationships in your past. Do you have any advice for them? Well, I don't know if I have advice, but I have hope because <laughs> it took me so many years to finally connect with, with someone. And it happened mm -hmm. to me uh, a few years ago. And this relationship just changed my life. It was a friendship. Um, and the fact that it showed me that I could connect with someone just, mm -hmm. you know, it changed all of my other relationships too. It was like, oh, well, I've done it. Then I can do <laughs> it again. And yeah. it's really made it so much easier for me to connect to people. I think part of the reason we don't always connect with people very easily is that 
we're kind of distrustful in a way. We're kind of afraid we're going to be judged. And mm-hmm. it's just from past experiences. And I know I have a lot of trauma from high school uh, in France. And sometimes we just got to trust that the person in front of us is has the right intention and is not there to hurt us. And I always remind myself that people are not, they're not, bad they're not mean they're not here to to hurt me even if i've been hurt in the past it doesn't mean that the person in front of me is here to hurt me and Mm -hmm. it helps me kind of like open up and connect yeah yeah do you kind of immediately when meeting a new person tell them that you are autistic or do you want them to because i feel like it's a balance of wanting somebody to just get to know you and not treat you differently but also being upfront so they can be aware if you offend them and want want them to tell you or anything that you are concerned of. How do you balance that? I don't tell them right away. Um, mm-hmm. Well, people find out pretty quickly because of my Instagram uh, anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, but like I can't hide it now. Yeah, it's out there. Much secret, but um, <laughs> no, I, I try not to tell people right away. But I like to tell them pretty quickly. I just don't want it to be the first thing. Hi, I'm Eileen. I'm autistic. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's probably really beneficial that you are so public and have your social media and your blog and your book because if somebody does feel uncomfortable to ask you questions and doesn't want to offend you, then they can kind of turn to that and get direct answers from you without really having to have that one-on-one conversation. So it's probably really beneficial. Have you given anyone in that you're in a relationship with or just meeting your book to kind of be like, hey, I want you to understand me more. And I feel like if you read this, you will be able to understand me. I haven't. You know, if I thought about it from like therapy things, I was like, you know, that might be inappropriate, but maybe you're right. And I should do that. Like it never crossed my mind, but that's such a great way to teach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be so helpful. Why do you think it would be inappropriate? I feel like I would like self promo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Self promoting my book. And then you read that. Yeah. Okay. I can get that. Yeah. I think overthinking. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I overthink too (laughs) a lot. (laughs) All the freaking time. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that would happen. And then they're mad at you. Um, yeah, I think, I guess there's subtle ways to do it, but I just think that would be so helpful. I think in our society, if we stopped trying to assume how someone thinks or feels in general to anyone, whether they're on the spectrum or not, we'd be a lot better off for it. I think we make assumptions about people from our own experiences, which I know it's natural, but we're way too quick to judge as a society that oftentimes people aren't out to hurt you. They are good people, but sometimes we say or do something and not realize that it could harm someone. So I think if we could all collectively be better at that, everyone would be better off, especially anyone on the spectrum who does perceive things a little bit differently. I agree. Um, back to some of the questions from Instagram. Somebody asked, what were the benefits? Well, we kind of touched on this, but what were the benefits of having that official diagnosis? Did anything directly change? I think we basically touched on yeah. on that in general, but if you have anything to share... I think the really the main thing is just how I saw myself. And mm-hmm. that's why I recommend that anyone who thinks they might be on a spectrum. And, you know, that's also tricky to say because 
it's expensive getting an official diagnosis. And I feel lucky that I had that chance, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I actually had to cut a deal with the therapist and have her, (laughs) uh, record the the session that she could use in her to teach her students about autism signs in adults in exchange for a discount for my assessment because it is expensive so I know firsthand that it's not possible for everyone but yeah I think it's uh it's very beneficial if if you can do Mm -hmm. it and if you can just read about it on the internet and um you know you might connect with people who are at least having the same struggles as you, even if you can get an official diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, we never want to self-diagnose ourselves for anything, but just reading and becoming informed on something can help you be a little bit more self-aware and start working on mechanisms to make your life a little bit smoother as well. Do you have advice or resources for people who have loved ones who are on the spectrum and how they can better learn and help those individuals yeah i mean it depends first is the person if the if the person is able to express themselves whether that's verbal mm-hmm. or not um, because they would be the one person to ask you know is there anything i can do better mm-hmm. you know when it comes to autism and how people treat me i love uh, when people ask me like for instance uh, with my friend i was telling you about that i connected with um, we would go to bars together and pre-COVID and <laughs> she would ask me like, where do you want to sit? Is it better if you're facing the people or, you know, the other way around? And it's just like, no one had ever done that for me. And it's something I'll remember like for you know, ever that mm-hmm. just like touched me so much yeah. because no one had ever done that for me. And it does make a big difference for me, whether I'm like facing, you know, where there are more people in front of me or just like mm-hmm. my back to them. Um, yeah. So, always so just being more aware and asking questions and staying curious and yeah. being helpful is really the first steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, your blog or any of your socials to yeah, for me to shamelessly plug you, <laughs> I think is so helpful. I mean, just in the few weeks that I've been following you, I have learned so much that I didn't realize. Like I said, I've only had depictions of in the media. I have you seen the show atypical? I had a lot of questions about this. So many people were asking if atypical is accurate or not and how you feel about it. You know, I actually don't hate it at all. I think, um, out of all the shows that show autism, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty accurate. I mean, it's a bit cliche, like how he loves penguins so much, but in a lot of ways it felt, um, yeah, a lot more accurate than those, uh, the good doctor, just because mm-hmm. you see the struggles too. You see how he's, you know, he's talking, he, he has that capacity, but he's still struggling in a lot of ways. Like even mm-hmm. if you're verbal, it doesn't mean you're not struggling. And I think that's another misconception. Um, if you're verbal, then you're fine. No, you know, it doesn't stop at whether you can put your words, um, your thoughts into words because Mm -hmm. there are so many other aspects of communication and understanding life and fitting in in a society that is not really equipped yet to take us in you know in in this Mm -hmm. way Um, but like you said it's very hard to educate society as a whole Um, yeah we're working on it I think yeah I think the lack of education as a whole and then 
like you mentioned, just the fact that it's so expensive to get diagnosed and get treated is just, I mean, if we could handle those two problems, at least in this country, we would be a lot better off. I didn't realize that. I don't know why I assumed at, at least for a child, maybe not for an adult that just your, your kid's physician and after them being born and going through all the milestones. I don't know why I just assumed that would be part of it and there wouldn't be these added expenses. I that's I wish. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that's stupid. Of course there is. But yeah, I would never think I don't know. I just feel like that to me is a no-brainer that that should be free to at least help people understand their diagnosis and understand their options of getting help if the help is at least a cost. I don't know. Yeah. Our our healthcare over here. <laughs> no worries. Is it better in France? I don't know anything about France's healthcare actually. It's really good unless you have autism. Like I'm oh. <laughs> way better off here. Like for my son Charlie, they don't have as many therapy available mm -hmm. and they're not covered yeah. by insurance. Here they're covered. Oh. I mean it's still, you know, money because you need you know how much health insurance cost in the US and you need to reach your max out of pocket before everything is free. Um, yeah. So it's still a cost, but compared mm -hmm. to a country like France, I feel very fortunate. And that's for Texas again, because it changes state to state. I know mm -hmm. California and Massachusetts are um, a lot better for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think France, it's not covered because it's just not taken seriously yet? Yeah. Like you were talking about your mother? Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a big issue there. Like a lot of people, even professionals, think that mm -hmm. uh, it's because of the mother. Like they are oh. still, as of last year, uh, mothers are getting their kids taken away from them, as in <gasps> they're causing their kids autism, or it's because they're How? not good mother enough. There's something called oh the refrigerator gosh. mother theory or something. <gasps> um, like they're too That's cold with their kids. Awful. And yeah, some uh, people treat autism like wrapping kids in cold, like frozen shits. Uh, I don't know. It's just like you would think it's from 200 years ago, but it's happening yeah, I was just, now. That's in exactly what I was just going to say. That sounds like it was way from the past. And the fact that that's happening in modern day, I mean, that shows a lack of education right there. So yeah. I'm glad that you are helping sharing some insight and educating little by little so that we can hopefully change that stigma. Has your mother come around to kind of opening her mind to it and accepting it? So, yeah, she's so, uh, um, you know, she shares all of my posts now on Facebook, maybe too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's great. And now she feels like she's so happy that I have the autism diagnosis because she was, you know, she was my mother and mm -hmm. she's like, oh my God, that's why you were doing this. Like, that's why I had to prompt you to say hi to people. Like I thought <laughs> I was doing something wrong with your education, you know, like she had a lot of guilt too. Yeah. I didn't even think of it coming from that side. She probably feels a little relief of being like, there was nothing wrong with me. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with her. She's just on the spectrum and that's completely Okay. We just had to do things a little bit differently. So yeah, that's probably so much peace of mind for her. Does she still live in France or is she yeah. over here with you? Yeah. yeah? Everyone's in France. Yeah. In my family. Is your whole is your whole family very open or 
is it hard for them to kind of understand just growing up in a culture that didn't take it seriously? Are they all on board and really supportive and understanding? Yeah. I mean, it's basically just my mom and my dad and my mom is, you know, she's really open her mind, which I mm-hmm. so appreciate. And my dad is just still in the, oh, but you're talking, you know, and Charlie doesn't mm-hmm. talk. Kind of, you know, and it's yeah. okay. I'm just like, I'm not going to push, you know, um, the, the issue. It's, I've just kind of accepted that for, for mm-hmm. some people, I think maybe the older generation too, it's harder to wrap their mind around the high functioning side of the spectrum. Yeah. I think for anyone, when you've had one way of thinking for so long, it's hard to change that. And I think they're coming around understanding Charlie because it's, it's, it's easier to see. And then with you, them being like, no, we're your parents. We would have known that. And I, there's probably maybe a little bit of guilt there too of like, how didn't we know? And how didn't we provide her the tools to understand this earlier as well? So I can imagine that would be a difficult thing for a parent, but I'm glad that they're supportive and understanding. And Charlie is so lucky to have you. And I think in a way that's such an incredible bond that you two share this together and can kind of understand in that aspect. Um, I know he can't communicate that to you, but I think that's something really special that you two have. Yeah, I think so too. Honestly, in some ways, sometimes I just, yeah, like when there's a loud noise and we're just two of us and no one else knows why. And I'm like, didn't you hear that? Um, yeah. <laughs> Charlie and I heard it, you know, because we're very sensitive yeah. to noise. And so we have, you know, our special connection in some way where, mm-hmm. yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. So can you please tell everyone listening where they can find you and learn more a little bit about you and your family and autism? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Pinterest at the Autism Cafe. And I have a, a blog website that is theautismcafe.com. And I wrote a book that has all my photography in it, but my story and Charlie's story and a lot of uh, encouragement for uh, parents uh, who have autistic children, just so you know you're not alone. And this book is called All Across the Spectrum, and it's on Amazon as a Kindle and hard book cover. Incredible. Make sure you guys check it out. Before we go, I have to ask you, where did the Autism Cafe name come from? You know what? I love um, bars and cafe in France, but I was like, you know what? Bars might sound a little bit not good, not appropriate. <laughs> the bar. Yeah, so I went to the Autism Cafe. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. And I love European cafes as well. So, so good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eileen. This was wonderful. Thank you for teaching me. I hope everyone listening learned a little bit as well. And I will see you all next week. Bye. 